Welcome to Fine Rambles, number 126. So I've had a lot of coffee, <laughs> and it's been a very news-heavy week. So, of course, I want to talk about the myth of Sisyphus, naturally. And I know it sounds like I'm lisping, but... As you know, stuttering is my problem, not lisping. So that's actually being pronounced correctly. The myth of Sisyphus. Now, Sisyphus was a king in Greek mythology who was cursed by Zeus in the underworld or in the afterlife to have to push a boulder up a hill forever. <laughs> so the way that works is Sisyphus has to push the boulder up the hill and then just as it gets to the top of the hill the boulder rolls back down and he has to do it again and I've been thinking about this metaphor or this image or I don't know whatever you want to call it this myth for a long time more and more I think it's a metaphor of the human condition. <laughs> a very obscure story, but I think it's a really powerful story. And I break it down into four stages, the four stages of Sisyphus. And I know this is whatever, esoteric, boring, obscure, but bear with me, bear with me. Four stages, okay? In the first stage of Sisyphus, he is rolling the boulder up the hill the first time without knowing his doom, without knowing his fate. So he's unaware of the truth. He's in a reality that he doesn't understand. He's innocent. He's like a child. He doesn't know which world he's living in. Then the second stage is when he gets to the top of the hill for the first time, and he thinks he's done. And the boulder slips out of his grasp and tumbles back down the hill. And in that moment, he realizes the truth. He realizes a part of the truth, I should say. He realizes a part of the truth, but he thinks he sees the whole truth. So he's still wrong. What he sees is true. He sees this endless cycle in front of him. He sees that there's no way to win. <laughs> there's no scenario where, where he successfully rolls the boulder to the top of the hill and can keep it there. And that truth is overwhelming, right? It, it throws him into the underworld. As I guess Nietzsche might say, he stares into the abyss. His innocence is destroyed. And so he is tempted to despair. And this moment, the second stage of Sisyphus, is the most important moment in his life. Imagine you think you understand how the world works and that it's basically a pretty good place. And then something happens that just knocks the wind out of you and you have to question everything. And as you do, you realize that there's a lot of things that are very wrong that you didn't realize. For Sisyphus, I imagine that he is flooded with negative emotion. He has anger, 
He has fear. So all of this negative emotion threatens to overwhelm him. But, <laughs> but negative emotion is a call to action. Let me say that again. Negative emotion is a call to action. And it's at this moment, the key moment, the second stage, it's where Sisyphus has to make a choice. Will he give up or will he act? In the language of religion, he has to choose either evil or goodness. And if he chooses evil, he will despair. He won't act. He'll just be passive. He will remain in the underworld. He will remain in hell. However, he has another choice. And if he chooses goodness, if he chooses to act, then he enters the third stage. So the second stage is very dangerous because you can get stuck there. But if you choose action, then you, or Sisyphus, you progress to the third stage. And that stage, again, in the language of religion, is purgatory. So nothing's really changed. Sisyphus still has to roll the boulder up the hill over and over and over. He still suffers. The world still looks indifferent and cruel, arbitrarily cruel. Nothing in the external world has changed, but his point of view has shifted ever so slightly. And it's in the third stage that he gets an inkling of a deeper truth. In the third stage, he has a sense of progress. And each time he rolls the boulder up the hill, he is creating a little tiny piece of his soul. In the third stage, Sisyphus begins to pay attention to the world, maybe for the first time. He begins to really connect with reality, the reality that's right in front of his face. <laughs> Sisyphus silences his ego, and he starts to enjoy rolling the boulder up the hill. He starts to enjoy it, not in order to get the boulder to the top of the hill, not in terms of a goal. He starts to enjoy what he's doing for its own sake. And once he begins to love what he does, what he's doing, once he learns to love the world that is directly in front of him, well, he enters the fourth stage. And the fourth stage of Sisyphus is... Again, in the language of religion, it's heaven. Sisyphus has created his soul through love, through connection. And as a result, Sisyphus is happy. He's happy. Now, as I said, I think this is a very obvious metaphor for the human condition, because this is what life is like. We're going along happy, innocent, and then something comes along and, you know, it knocks the wind out of us. It knocks us right through the ground and into the underworld. Maybe, uh, maybe a friend betrays us or, or we get bad news at the doctor or we get fired. The point is that something awful happens that we didn't anticipate, that we didn't see coming, 
that wasn't a part of our knowledge of the world. And suddenly, we can't trust anything. Anything. There's nowhere that we can step now that feels firm because this step that we thought was firm collapsed beneath our feet. And so we start to question everything. The world, which was a moment ago understandable and predictable and safe, well, it becomes scary (laughs) and dark and strange. And it's at this point that we are in stage two. We're faced with the same choices as Sisyphus. Do we despair and remain in hell? Do we give in to hatred and that throws us deeper into hell? Or, or do we try to find a way out by, by learning, by paying attention, by being as truthful as we can with ourselves and with others? That's our choice. Do we nurse our resentment or do we forgive? Do we insist on, on justice, on revenge, or do we exercise mercy? for our own sake? Do we sit down or do we start climbing? The best case scenario is that we become a better person. We make better friends. We get healthy. We find a better job. We solve the problem. And now we're back in the light. We're back above ground. We are wiser. We are stronger for a little while, (laughs) because we still don't understand the world perfectly, and the world continues to change. And so inevitably, something else is going to come along and knock us right back down again, right back down into the underworld, and the whole process repeats. I think this idea, this framework, these four stages apply to a lot of different areas. For example, Relationships. I think relationships follow this same cycle. You think everything is great, and then you and your partner have a fight over something that you didn't even know was a problem, (laughs) right? But only because you were innocent, blind to the truth. And that fight casts you into the underworld. And then you either give up and you end the relationship, or you struggle together to find a way upwards towards a better understanding, towards getting back in sync with each other. And then you both emerge back into the light and you're happy until the next fight. (laughs) Now, to my mind, fights are inevitable. So the key is to have lots of little fights. Don't put off fights because, you know, small dragons grow if they're ignored. And if you ignore problems, you and your partner will drift further apart unless you course correct often. Have 10 fights, each of which drops you three feet into the earth, rather than delay and delay and delay, and then you have one fight that drops you 30 feet down. Right? That's the principle of hormesis. A big fight destroys a relationship but a lot of little fights can make the relationship stronger, incrementally, cumulatively stronger. Same idea with exercise. Let's say you can lift, I don't know, 100 pounds. How do you get stronger? Well, you don't try to lift 500 pounds. That would break you. No. 
you lift 105 pounds. And even that sucks. It's heavy. It hurts. You suffer. You're in stage two now. You have the same choice again. You can give up. You can stop working out. And then inevitably, you will decay. You will atrophy. You will get weaker. You will fall apart. So you choose the path of action. You stick with it. Now, it still hurts, but now you're suffering deliberately. <laughs> you're suffering with purpose, with, with meaning. So you work out, and then you rest, and you heal stronger. And then a week later, two weeks later, 105 pounds starts to feel like 100 pounds felt. And now you try to lift 110 pounds, and you begin to enjoy the process. You're happy. Okay, at the risk of being really crazy, I want to take this one step further. And again, I keep coming back to the language of religion because I think it expresses a lot of these ideas very cleanly. And to use the language of religion, I think this framework, the four stages of Sisyphus, it's one of the key lessons that I find in Christianity. And I'm not a Christian. So, you know, I'm kind of talking out of my ass here. Now, there were four letters written on the cross, I-N-R-I. And the story goes that those four letters represented Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews, which is kind of a snarky thing to write on the top of a cross when you're crucifying someone to death. It's a pretty dick form of mockery. But then the mystics got a hold of this story, and they decided that I-N-R-I actually stood for Igne Natura Renovator Integra, which means nature renews itself by fire. Nature renews itself by fire. And I think that is what Christianity asks Christians to do to improve, to burn up what is bad and be renewed, renewed through the host or through confession or through carrying the cross. Now, that's a painful process, and it's a process that is never finished, just like Sisyphus. That's all I got this week. I'll catch you later.